get down and give me 10. <laughs> yeah, I think the knobs are probably yeah. at a good place. <laughs> so is that what you just think about now? Like, is that the first thing you could possibly say on a sound check is major? <laughs> Malcolm's I don't know, man. I was just, that I was military <laughs> lifestyle. Yeah, I'm just trying to keep it, you know, fresh. Trying to you run your life in such a regimented schedule. <laughs> Absolutely. Way. We've watched so many of these John Ford movies that valorize the American military, and I know we're supposed to take away kind of a duality within that, but I think Malcolm is just kind of fully gone over to the other side. <laughs> Eddie, <laughs> just Eddie, go take a lap. <laughs> <laughs> I. uh I was looking through my iPhone photos and uh, I saw that I took a picture of Arlie Ermy Street recently. <laughs> nice. In, uh, I think it's like Palmdale. Yeah, Palmdale. I think there's an Arlie Ermy Street. So I, I guess that was that was my little dedication. I, you know, I can't stop thinking about him. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I, I, you know, I'd just share it because I can't. Yeah, no, it's pretty recent. Uh, apparently, it was in like 2018 they renamed the stretch of the road in Palmdale Arlie Ermy Road, <laughs> which is pretty cool, I guess. I just wanted to bring attention to that at the top of the episode. You know, I have a little something else for the top of the episode regarding classic cinema. Do you remember? Then go ahead and set it, Eddie. <laughs> All right, man. All right, I'll stop, I'll stop. Last time I remember, Arlie Army was kind of out with it. He didn't really stutter over something as simple as then say it, Eddie. <laughs> Eddie, I'm working on it. <laughs> Give me 10 right now. JT, you think this is funny? I would actually like a version of like the Arlie Ermy full metal jacket character who really is just like trying to find Not his metaphors confident. the whole time. Yeah, yeah it's just like. Uh, I hear you come from Oklahoma. Uh, there's a couple things that come from there. Uh, I'm pretty sure you got steers. Uh, I think you got queers. Uh, steers and, and gay dudes, and you're one of them, pal. Duh, get out of here. Stop! Don't stop, don't talk to each other. Stop it. This guy looks like Gomer Pyle. <laughs> Look at look at this guy in the front row with the, the tight t-shirt. Come on, come on, man! You can't wear. Uh. You guys ever seen that show? Gomer Pyle. Um, it's wearing flip flops outside, and it's it's uh, fifty degrees. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to bring up: <laughs> if you had to just take a guess without looking at my screen, uh, hopefully you couldn't read it from there. Uh, what what is one of the movies? Just a wild guess that we reviewed on episode twenty. That's oh, fuck. It's a classic Hollywood movie. It's in Cinemascope. We had a guest on for the episode. 20. Is it Brigadoon? Yes. Now, I don't want to be one of these, you know, nostalgia 80s rules guys saying like, oh, they're bringing back all my favorite movies and they're ruining them. <laughs> they're bringing back Brigadoon? <laughs> they're bringing back Brigadoon. I just found this out. There is a Apple Plus <laughs> miniseries Damn. Uh, called Schmigadoon. What? Yes. Oh. As in Brigadoon, Schmigadoon. It stars Cecily Strong and Keegan-Michael Key. Oh, God. That's... <laughs> the people who made that know, knew it was going to suck if they assigned that. You know what I mean? They didn't yes. even put any, any juice to it. No star power. Yeah. Executive produced by Lauren Michaels. Uh, 
directed by Barry Sonnenfeld, shot in beautiful Vancouver, Canada. I'm sure this will be just a classic homage to the golden age of the musical. Keegan-Michael Key's kind of having like a post-SNL type career, even though he was never on it. Kind of just doing, you know, just Mm -hmm. flailing a little bit. Yeah, I mean, being in that terrible Chris Gethard um, improv movie... Yeah. Um, oh, oh yeah. We should do that. Which is yeah. You know, it's really funny because that guy, that comedian Mike Burbiglia, uh, <laughs> he has two feature length films that he directed, and like one's about stand up and one's about improv. And it's kind of funny that he's gotten to make like two, you know, not big studio movies, but like you know, ten million dollar movies that got distribution. About like you know, stand up guys are like this, but you know, improv guys are kind of like this. <laughs> blame apatow yeah no that's he's uh, a one example of the apatow industrial complex dang maybe we should make a, a movie about you know the circles we run in Can about get podcasters podcasters like a podcasting romantic comedy yeah i don't think anyone's done that yet honestly well movies used to be way more specific like there's so many classic hollywood movies that are just like you know he's a podcaster about sports and she's a, a typist about uh so, you know blah 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 what other what other jobs do people have I'm <laughs> yeah, not, I'm not, I'm not po- sure. yeah new job podcaster old job typist couldn't think of anything else uh, uh, all i know is like podcasting and film careers what do people do yeah well like crunch I tr- numbers i tried i I'm, I'm looking i'll let you know when i find something <laughs> um but we're getting out of that milieu today you know that milieu of um whether it's the apatow man child but still making enough money to get by and have cool shit and a hot wife uh to and you know we're getting out of that we're getting out of our milieu of you know 20 something podcasters who are very nice with it and we're moving to a completely different milieu and i'm saying milieu a lot because we got an email about the constant use of the word milieu on the podcast really how seemingly unnatural it sounds what a fucking ad <laughs> no 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 they're nice they're nice Ooh, I'm, that, they're that nice. fucking fires me up that's all i gotta we'll say we'll do it on the main episode god fucking <laughs> uh, uh-huh. but we're flying to the other side of the freaking world we're going to the other hemisphere <laughs> We're going to 1955 Brazil. That's true. We're on vacation now. (laughs) We are on vacation. We're like the white tourists in this movie. (laughs) Not me. I'm I'm like the woke tourist that knows what's going on. That's right. (laughs) You're the woke tourist who goes on vacation and looks at the people and says, oh, isn't it so terrible how they're all poor? (laughs) I'm just there for sex tourism. Sex (laughs) tourism. Yeah, you know, uh, this movie didn't exactly shine a light on that. <laughs> I'm just a harmless sex tourist. Don't mind me. Look, some people are just in it for the love of the love. Rio, 40 degrees Celsius, uh, is the movie for today's After Hours podcast. It's a 1955 film directed by Nelson Pereira dos Santos. Malcolm, you selected this movie, and I gotta be honest, I hadn't really heard of it even. Um, and I watched it and I loved it, but why, what's with, what's with all this Brazilian stuff? Why why are we going all the way over there when movies made in America are not good enough for you anymore? (laughs) Eddie, that is a good point. I guess maybe I was trying to be too cool by selecting this movie since it's not a... Look, man, Felipe Furtado is not going to follow you back. (laughs) Um, at this point, you probably won't, you know, I have to reevaluate the slur in my username. It's probably holding me back with becoming a true Twitter elite, but it's another discussion. 
But uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. Like uh, you know, sometimes for the Patreon, I feel like we pick like movies that people know that'll attract people. And I was like, you know, we got like we gotta we gotta switch it up a little bit because I, I feel like I do that too. I'm like I'm thinking money. I'm thinking big fucking stacks of dollars whenever I'm choosing a movie for you know. Yeah, when I clip. think that <laughs> oh, it's my turn to pick a double feature or a bonus episode topic. I am literally thinking about Scrooge McDuck taking a big yeah, bath. Yeah, there's just big dollar signs that appear in your eyes. <laughs> exactly. But you know what? Maybe that's not the best way to go about things. You know? Maybe maybe we should use whatever this platform is, you know. Maybe you know, maybe it's not that big of a one, but we got we got something to stand on here. Maybe we should use that to I don't know, explore shit. I was just I, I feel like I, I looked in you know into Nelson Pereira dos Santos just because like I I saw like he had like a bunch of views on Letterboxd like this isn't an obscure movie like there's like two thousand views on Letterboxd like I've never heard anyone talk about this guy before so I was like let's get into it and I watched one of his movies uh, I think it's called uh, Rio Zone North which is actually mm-hmm. I guess the follow up to this one um, this being his debut actually this is his debut movie. And uh, I really liked it a lot. And I was just like, let's just bring it here. And I'm sure you guys will have a couple things to say about it. So it's, that's the cue. <laughs> One of you guys got to step up. Yeah, I really like this. Um, I mean, I think we all pretty much enjoyed this. But like the way it was presented on like little descriptions of it were just that it was like kind of like Italian neorealism, which like I get in the sense of mm-hmm. like having the struggle and plight of poor people. But mm-hmm. I don't know. You said immediately after the movie, Eddie, that it's better than any neorealist stuff that you've seen so far. And like, I would also agree. It's something that's like, I don't know, very extremely stylish at some points. Um, it made me think of uh, Soy Cuba at certain mm-hmm. parts because that's like uh, like, Cuban like anti-American like propaganda stuff and the way like this movie sort of flows between conversation and like different group I think that does really well like in Soy Cuba it's like three different stories but the camera sort of glides through each story in that much like this does like just interweaving like different conversations and types of people and I love the way the camera will like have those uh stories just like overlap yeah no there's a lot of uh the a lot of staging in this movie where one subplot will be happening and then other characters just kind of walk in front of them and their subplot kind of takes over or behind them the camera moves to accommodate that and yeah it's just really an influx of character and uh the the people of the city you know the collective uh people of the city are kind of given a pretty big credit in the opening credits where you get this great, I guess, helicopter shot looking over Rio. And uh, yeah, it's a a really great mix of kind of more of a collective ensemble storytelling and some cues from classic melodramatic filmmaking as well. Uh, There's a lot of style to it, a lot of suspense to it, even, you know, comedy and some like action thrown in kind of. Uh, It's... It's a real grab bag of a film and the the neorealism stuff. Yeah, obviously I think uh in terms of like subject matter, uh that's there, but stylistically this is like so far from that and I think I think that's why I responded to it more. It's just it's uh 
there's more to pick at stylistically rather than just kind of the rules and refrains of like long take long shot neorealism. It also like seems to have different goals than like maybe those Italian neorealism movies. Cause like, I don't know. And that's not even really something I'm really that familiar with. So I guess I can't speak on it too extensively, but the ones I've seen, I'm not saying like they revel in like kind of poverty, but they really do focus on it and like, you know, make it, uh, make you feel the pain sometimes in some aspects. Well, you know, there is depiction of poverty and, you know, kind of the things that come with it here. It really is kind of like a more even balanced kind of portrait of Rio. It's kind of like, it's a, it's, it's almost like it has, it's like half neorealism, half like tourist documentary in a way in that sense. Cause it really is like, you know, it gives you, you know, the people who do Samba, the soccer players, um, you know, in the description, like it describes, you know, people selling peanuts on the side of the street and whatnot. And uh, yeah, they're kind of, I guess, like the effortless style of how it like everything interconnects really just uh, gives it like a variance of tone. And I don't know, like, at, at, especially by the end of it, too, you really feel like, you know, he's really uh, represented his city in like the one of the most interesting ways possible, kind of mm-hmm. taking the good and the bad and kind of just interlinking them and I don't know, just letting those stories run through. Yeah. I mean, I don't even think it's ever like cloying in terms of the social commentary. It just kind of puts it forthright. Like you have Mm -hmm. the kids selling peanuts, as we said, uh, and they, you know, solicit uh, a young couple or whatever at the beach. And uh, it's just like, get out of here, man. Like what do you (laughs) get, you know, they kind of run into trouble like that because then there's also these like peanut thugs that are like trying to steal half of their income or break their tin of peanuts because they're selling on their territory. But also it's illegal to sell these things. And we get one kid like gets snuck into this gondola ride and this more bourgeoisie family is talking to him. And, uh, He's just like, yeah, I live in the slums and I support myself on selling peanuts. And it doesn't seem to really like linger on like the sadness of that. I feel like the the filmmaking style has so much energy that rather than like looking down on him like that other family does, the viewer is inclined to more if not identify, just kind of associate with him and his kind of adventure as that peanut thug kind of chases him down up that gondola. Uh, And that gondola ride provides such great heights. Like there's such, I don't know, like the middle chunk of this movie before the third act feels like most of it, other than the soccer stadium stuff, is placed at high elevation. And there's just these like backgrounds of the city below the people Uh, and it's like the best kind of background you could ask for and uh yeah just it's it's so beautiful to look at yeah i think with what you're getting at with the like social commentary and whatnot i feel like a lot of films that are about poverty can kind of like revel in it in like particularly manipulative ways in terms of like just heightening in on the misery and focusing on that and like obviously that's there and there are some like pretty extremely like depressing moments in this but it mixes it with I don't know just a variety of experience and Mm -hmm. I think one of my favorite scenes in the movie that's just like I don't know something like altogether like pleasant is the uh the chase that the little kid has with the lizard that in that's in his pocket and then when he gets it back and is just sort of walking Mm -hmm. like uh through like it's a zoo right yeah Mm -hmm. and he's just like looking up at like the trees and everything that's just such a nice uh 
don't know. Just great, yeah. calm, fun vibes. And then I like how it's like kind of contrasted after with like the, I guess like cop or security guard kind of like finding him and then just all that like beauty you just experienced that like uh, Pereira dos Santos just really took like time to kind of uh, like uh, let you experience that beauty. A lot of different shots, you know, highlighting various parts of the zoo and then you just have to rush right through it again mm-hmm. as, he's, as he's pushed away. And I guess like with the... Cause like the class commentary is it's it's pretty heavy like it's it's in like every single like uh, subplot of the movie almost but it's like it's I guess it's just like instead of like you know reveling it as it says like it's more it's like this is part of the city this is here and like yeah. you know don't forget it like this is a huge part of how everything works like even when you're talking about like with the uh, elevation and whatnot it is it's funny like with like the hills it seems like you know people want to live in the city they want to get get out of the hills but then there's like these scenes of like you know these you know middle class people going up to like great heights and kind of I, I, it's probably not the same location but it's uh i don't know just like every single aspect of the movie there's a there's a kind of a class element to it whether it's like heavily telegraphed or not yeah absolutely so the uh the soccer subplot is obviously a great entryway uh for any sports fans out there <laughs> uh, there's a player who you know, he's getting toward the end of his career, and uh, at the day of the big match, they're going to sit him because he doesn't have much time left, and it's a, it's a little load management situation. <laughs> you know, how many fans have gone to see Kawhi Leonard uh, play a great game of basketball? You know, they... they these poor working class slobs spend their whole paycheck on a on a damn Clippers ticket, and what do you know? Kawhi Leonard sitting on the bench because of load management. I have to watch Marcus Morris shoot thirty percent tonight. <laughs> That's what I spent a hundred dollars on. <laughs> so we see this other guy have to replace him, and there, there's a lot of scenes in like the the back off, or I guess the front office for the team and the locker room and whatnot, and it intercuts that with the stands and the fans interaction with the players. And it's kind of these, uh, yeah, it's an exact kind of dialectic of the people in charge and the people who are enjoying it, the people who produce the sport, the entertainment and the people who consume it and what they want out of it. And then you have to think, what about the people actually playing the sport? You know, these guys have feelings too. And this guy who's uh, replacing uh, this older player is clearly just like a nervous wreck and stuff. And you get this kind of triumphant sports narrative uh, after a rousing halftime speech. And he's finally getting it together in the second half. But Dos Santos doesn't quite let you revel in the glory that much because uh, as the team is mounting their comeback, he starts intercutting it with one of the kids who is selling peanuts. And he's running through the street and then... There's a cut between this replacement player scoring the go-ahead, you know, winning goal and a kid getting hit by a car in the street and dying. And I, it's just one of the most insane things I've ever seen. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I don't really know how to parse the commentary, I guess, with yeah. that maybe. But it, it like in terms of like rhythmic like filmmaking. Yeah, it, is, it does kind of give you like this sports moment and then kind of contrasts it with the. The, the reality. This is why people call it a neo-realism film, right? Because it's got that... It's giving you those doses of reality yeah. no matter what. Yeah, it's like when I'm freaking uh, watching a basketball game and I'm just like refreshing my feed, talking with my friends about it. And then the next thing I see on my feed is like, oh, there was another mass shooting. 
<laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, that's bummer. freaking neorealism. <laughs> <laughs> what a bummer. <laughs> that's a damn bummer right there. It's like, oh, did I go? Oh, no, I didn't go there. That's no. <laughs> no, I've never been there. <laughs> but that that's that sucks. That does suck. I remember, uh, this kind of dark territory, but I do remember... Um, what was it? The Parkville shooting. I was I was getting my tires rotated at uh, what is it? I was gonna call it Jersey Mike's Pet Boys. <laughs> <laughs> that might the be the most the TV. <laughs> stupid sentence on this podcast ever. During the Parkville shootings, I was getting my tires rotated at I want to say Jersey Mike's. <laughs> There's like a hundred oh things wrong God. with that sentence. <laughs> Pet Boys is kind of the Jersey Mike's of auto shops when you kind of think about it, uh, I guess. Hey, man, you brought up the subject. I, I, I wasn't going there naturally. So, I, you know, I'll say gondola 50 more times, but uh, <laughs> I, I really love that chase scene first where the kid's getting chased around by the peanut thug and then the dad of that bourgeoisie family kind of helps him on. And um, once you're at that high elevated place by the the famous Jesus statue, you get, I would say, very tasteful use of the Jesus statue. There's only like four or five shots where you can see it. And one of them is when that older family, like a woman is talking to an older man and they're leaning over a ledge. And it's like a very pretty looking shot, but you just have Jesus looking down at them, judging them, (laughs) which is so great. But he uh, he gets chased by that guy again and has to hop on top of the gondola for the ride back. And it's this like little little glimpse at action. I mean, Malcolm, we've talked about it on this podcast. Remember you bring this up with Sam Fuller, like the the earliest versions of like the action movie and Sam Fuller being an early example. And, you know, there's like I guess there's martial arts movies in China uh, at the in the 50s at that point, I, I, I would assume. But regardless, outside of the fighting movie realm, uh, yeah, this is another example of like a 50s movie with like down and dirty action scenes, you know, like the, yeah. the, the gondola coming back. And then there's also a fight at like the outdoor marketplace very early on. That's it, It's a quick fight, but the way it's choreographed and shot is very impressive where it's just like this... Uh, a punch that's ducked and then it cuts to a really low angle of the guy who ducked. And then you see his leg just shoot out to kick the other guy. And then I don't know, it's very like daft, uh, deftly cut together for a fifties action scene. And the chases are really well done too. And then you get another, like you get the fight fake out there oh, at yeah. the end with the same guy where it's like, he's gonna, you see him pursuing the same woman throughout and think he's going to kick that other guy who's like engaged to her, like his ass. But they're just they just laugh it off. They're good friends. <laughs> That's you know I wasn't expecting that, but I you know you're at the samba. You know what I mean? Maybe you know your emotions change. You know, walking there forty minutes there, you're huffing and puffing. You're like, I'm yeah. gonna fucking kill this guy. But you know, you hear the music, you see everyone dancing. You're like, okay, maybe it's not that big of a deal. Speaking of puffing, one of my favorite parts is the the little kid giving a uh, a like change begging tutorial pretty much when one kid is like you know he's one of the peanut salesmen he's just trying to get home he needs like a couple bucks or whatever and this little kid who can't be more than like three foot eight and probably six years old just blasting a cig comes up to him he's like oh come on man you can't beg like that let me show you how it's done let me show you how to take these people's money and he just like puts the cigarette behind his back and says oh my, my mother is very sick can i please have money and give it to him it's it's awesome Cause like I guess there is a somewhat of 
a narrative going on here like especially like with like the soccer subplot certain subplots are a little bit more traditionally structured than others but kind of like with the the peanut uh sellers like it's kind of more like that like them kind of just reacting to their surrounding like oh this guy's fucking chasing me so i gotta i gotta run around and like i don't know i kind of just like i like the interludes i guess of the movie or like i kind of like i i what was going on with like uh the like the daughter and uh the politician or whatever like it was just funny seeing him like look at the daughter very hornily for like a minute <laughs> while, while like reporters are asking him questions and he's like oh yeah uh, what yeah whatever i agree and he's just looking at this <laughs> girl at the airport yeah uh that i wasn't sure on like all the specifics of yeah. that subplot but i could like kind of get what it would i i think honestly it's weird that was like the most obscured one to me mm-hmm. probably because it is such a film of poverty that like when you're invoking the officials the big wigs and stuff maybe it kind of loses sight of the level of realism mm-hmm. but maybe i'm totally off because i don't know anything about mid-century brazilian politics no well i guess there's some sort of corruption going on yeah. there like the 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 daughter the the, the young daughter yeah, you of the is like related to that other guy and she's trying to like sleep with the politician for yeah. something to like to get favor, I think, for their part. Yeah, because the like the dad did something or there's talks of like the dad doing something or whatever. And so. I, I feel like not many people have seen movies from Brazil. No. Uh, yeah. and, and like City of God is probably the most seen Brazilian movie uh, like worldwide ever. And it's kind of funny is that using that as a comparison where city of god has these like sleek mtv uh aesthetics kind of and also just like a kind of generic thriller and uh you know a lot a lot of other stuff going on that's not so hot uh compared to this where it's just like i don't know such a great film dealing with similar issues obviously uh and the life of people living in the slums and the extreme poverty uh and like I think it's just the classical style and the, I, I don't know, the immediacy of the film that makes it so much more successful. I mean, obviously, there, there's no point in fucking comparing these two very different <laughs> movies. Uh, the two of the, whatever, five Brazilian movies I've seen, if that. Um, but I, I, I just find it kind of an interesting comparison. No, yeah, I haven't seen City of God either but like there's i guess it's like well i think what really brought me back to it is because of that kind of high energy feeling throughout this movie that i almost Mm -hmm. didn't expect because of the neo-realist tags to it Mm -hmm. uh this has such an upbeat feeling it's not obviously the mtv feeling of city of god but like it has such an upbeat feeling that is such a such high contrast with the extreme poverty on display uh, that it invokes something so much more successful than that movie. But it's a very strange feeling that this film creates. Yeah. I mean, it's like there are like obviously like miserable moments that happen like pretty quickly, but it jumps around from a bunch of different like vibes and feelings and things happening. Mm -hmm. Like you get like, I love the comedy of the rolling pin mom oh, at the beginning. So like you get that. Don't get... go to lunch. You're just going to drink. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, then like with that mom too, you kind of have like this, if we're thinking of the same character, kind of like 
every time like there's something to do she's like no i gotta stay and work like that i'm the only person who fucking works around here and there's another mom who's very ill and we only see her just like in bed the whole time and uh the very ending of the film is that samba where they, they sing the song the i am the samba and it's the way that the camera focuses more on all the characters dancing together rather than the actual performance, I think is very uh, indicative indicative uh, of uh, how this film kind of operates on a collective level. And then you get that beautiful pan up into the darkness uh, and however they hide that cut back to that sick mother's uh, room. And then it keeps panning up into the darkness uh, to end on that beautiful shot of the city in miniature and it's just like what an insane fucking ending that is no yeah it's it's a great great ending and it's like it's very emblematic of you know kind of the contrast that this movie's playing with you know it it wants to like it said like the beginning it's like it does feel like almost like a tourism documentary as we get like these kind of plane shots over uh, rio but like you know we like, of course, there's a heavy dose of, you know, kind of real issues mm-hmm. going on here. So it's like, yeah, we, we have the Samba. People are loving the Samba. It's like, but don't forget, there's people, you know, struggling too. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's everything. And it's so it kind of just gives you like a dose of everything. And like kind of to speak of like the pace of it, because you guys are right. It is kind of like high energy, but it never feels too, too urgent or anything mm-hmm. like that. Like it's never really kind of going like, you know. Like, it lets you settle this. into all of the the scenes like it mm-hmm. yeah it definitely doesn't speed through the plot or anything like that like it lets you revel in every scene but i just think like the cutting and the music and stuff creates a very like high energy feeling for what it depicts which i think is really great um i think it's fantastic i mean throughout i was just thinking about like how i really need to step up my game and uh, watch more South American movies. Mm-hmm. Like in general, I mean, is this the first one we've talked about on the pod? Oh boy, it might be. Probably. First South American movie and, we've uh, talked about on the pod. Thank you for making us do better, Malcolm. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, it was such a great movie too. Hey, you know what? You know, it's, we like to joke about doing better, but it's like, hey, I think we, we got to watch all these fucking, we got to go to every fucking country, man. Absolutely. We're world tour. We're citizens of the world. Global, not globalist. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we forgot to get back to our root. Extended a clip. Global, not globalist cinema. <laughs> um, we'll be back on the main feed with Jack Nicholson week. See you then.